Good evening, everybody. It is Tuesday, February the 13th, 2024. This is the Fakeologist Show. We do this show Sunday through Thursday around 8 to 8.30 p.m. in the Eastern. How's everyone doing tonight? I'm just getting uh, a replacement piece of equipment on the computer working. Still working on the the new audio box, the Tim box, as I like to call it. Velo box. Velo said, tells me um, it has to be called the Velo box since it says technology, which is great. Except uh, he's not here and it's not set up yet. So we did have a pretty good audio chat today for oh maybe God. about an hour. <laughs> and yeah, hold on, Lynn. We had a pretty good audio chat, so... At least it works. At least it is streaming. The uh, Fakeologist audio chat is working. It's just I haven't got the bumpers bumping. But we'll get there. It's all a matter of when I have time. So we'll probably get that going. Today is the Lynn or Tell show. So that means you can call in and say hello. Because Lynn is here. She has made it into the studio. And uh, here she is. Lynn or Tell, hello. Go ahead, say something, Lynn. Well, Lynn was here. I heard her coughing and hacking in the background. Oh, gosh. Can you hear me, Lynn? I guess Lynn's microphone's working today, but not the speaker. Um. So, hey, to, hello to everyone in the chat. While we're waiting, Lynn, I can't, I can hear you. Turn on your audio. So Lynn is getting her thing ready. Greg uh, is in the YouTube chat. Hello, Greg. Man, Matt X is uh, here as well. Hi, everybody. Hmm. I can't hear anything. I know you can't hear anything. You got to set the settings. Oh, boy. No sound. Well, you can just talk as if you hear us. Wouldn't that be funny? Don't forget, you can also listen in at fake11.com forward slash stream one. That's our radio station player. And we're also on FacoTube at... uh, Settings, settings, settings. That's our video platform. Where are the settings? Turn on my my audios. Of course my audio is on, but where are settings? (laughs) Click the the S... Or settings. Let's add channels. I don't want to add channels, right? No. You don't want to add channels. Here we go. Why am I talking to her? She can't hear me. Video. Audio. Yeah, I think she's getting closer. She's getting closer to a solution. Okay, where was I? Let me get the FacoTube screen going here. And uh, see if that's working. So here we go. Shortcuts. Here we go on fake Video, O2. audio, virtual background, and shortcuts. Those are the only settings. Go into around. the audio, then. Audio, audio, audio. Change the speaker. Blue snowball. And she's sitting so close. We will go into the fake tube screen and take a quick so peek. No sound. No sound at all. I'm going to turn it off and turn it Turn it on, on and on. Okay. Now, I've got everything set up the way it usually is. And I'm Here using the current settings. Video. Oh, not Audio. shocked. Okay, not shocked can't hear me. Oh. I can't hear you at all. I can hear okay. myself. Okay. I, I, hello, can you hear me now? That's my, 
That's my fault. I didn't turn on the audio to the restream. Audio. Now Lynn should be able to hear me. Sorry about that, guys. I'm the amateur hour here. Wow. Well, I just rebooted everything. I just started the... Um... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, AJ206. Benton says hello. I had the audio working shortcuts. on the... Um... Video, audio... Virtual background and shortcuts. Those are the only settings. I know. Audio, Lynn, Lynn should be able to hear me now. Yeah, I can hear you. You snowball. Where you been? Uh, well, I fell asleep. Speak into the mic, please. Speak right into the mic. Yeah, let me move this mic closer. Oh. That was my fault because I didn't have my audio working on the video, but the audio was working on the audio. So I haven't yeah. quite got going. It was my fault tonight, so I'll take the blame. I was listening to Visigoth's interview with Michael Elliott from 2004. Oh, how was that? The 20th Hijacker, Zacharias Musawi. And, uh, the first i got to turn you up a months. bit. There you go. I just turned you back up to 100. Okay, Visigoth. Um, that's Keith Hansen, I believe. Right. Right, right. But this is very old. I don't even know if he still does that stuff. He might not. But it it, it reminded me again, bitterly, bitterly reminded me how utterly incoherent and implausible 9-11 was from the very beginning. Because one of the things that Elliot points out is that within the first few weeks and months European newspapers were full of details about the fact that at least seven of the alleged hijackers turned up as still alive in Saudi Arabia. Right. And and that a lot of the other ones couldn't be accounted for. Some of them, I mean, the anomalies surrounding the alleged hijackers were already being reported in the European media, but completely suppressed in the American media. Of course, we were seeing people like me who knew the official narrative was bogus. We were looking at that stuff and we were online. In fact, the 9-11 truth movement, so, so to speak, was born on the Internet, really. Right. So, uh, but it, it reminded me again how if there was even one legitimate journalist in the United States surely they would have been reading the European press and they would have seen this material as well. Or if they had even just asked the obvious question, how is it possible? And the Saudi government actually issued a protest, a formal protest, and produced the identities of at least seven individuals then living in Saudi Arabia who are alleged to have been seven of the hijackers. And who were protesting that, you know, this was a crazy story. They were still alive. I think most of them had never even been to the United States. So all of this was being reported. And these guys were talking about it in 2004. And, you know, it just goes to show you how wacky 9-11 was. How, how otherworldly it was. And I realize now why I thought I was going crazy for... Those first few years, I, I thought I was going crazy. Okay. Of course, I knew I wasn't 
because I could turn on Alex Jones and hear people call in one after another who, like me, knew those were controlled demolitions and knew it was an inside job, even if we didn't know all the fakery involved. We knew the official narrative was just utter bullshit. We knew it. We couldn't have been the only ones who knew it. I, I don't know. I shouldn't get off on this tangent again because it's like I'm reliving, you know, the tossing and turning at night thinking about this. How is this possible? How is it possible there's not one decent human being at the Washington Post or the New York Times or the Baltimore Sun or the, you know, the L.A. Tribune, somebody, somewhere who is seeing what I'm seeing and reporting it? No, uh-uh, almost nowhere, almost nowhere. And uh, it says a lot. It really says that the ground for 9-11 was prepared well in advance. There is no way they could have counted on everyone in the journalistic community going along with the official narrative and not raising even the most obvious questions about what happened at the Pentagon, about the controlled demolitions. They must have known and proceeded with absolute confidence and self-assurance that no one in the journalistic community in America would blow the whistle on it. Yet, as I say, in the European media, in the Middle Eastern press, this stuff, a lot of it was being reported. So that's just really strange. It's very strange. Anyway, that's not really what we were supposed to be talking about tonight, right? Or... What are we supposed to be talking about tonight? It's the Linertel show. What's going on in the Linertel world? Where's what's going on in Maryland? What's happening? You got a big audience well... tonight. <laughs> Preach. Preach to the choir, to the Linertel choir. They're okay. all waiting. They're waiting for you to evangelize like Joel Osteen. Oh, right, right. Wow, they no. used him for an op. They used yeah, him for an it's... integrated capstone event. It's really transparent. And a lot of the, how do I put this? A lot of the uh, Facebook groups who I would not have expected to say this are outright uh, pointing pointing out a lot of, are questioning this event. (laughs) They're questioning why all the eyewitnesses are laughing and smiling and why Joel Steen is laughing and smiling on camera. <laughs> People were questioning it. So it's just like uh, this notion about the Super Bowl, that the very last few minutes of the Super Bowl were rigged, that the plays were thr- – that essentially the 49ers took a dive and threw the game. People that finally was, waking up to the uh, fakery, huh? You think? Yeah, that was all over the place and yesterday, you know, uh, Sunday night, yesterday, all over the place. The idea that the Super Bowl was rigged. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, and they went on and on about Travis Kelsey allegedly assaulting his own coach. Is that right? <laughs> I think so. Something that any NFL player would have been like benched or kicked out of the stadium or arrested for, right? <laughs> That's all entertainment. Yeah, right. It's NFL all entertainment. Come on, it's media entertainment. So yeah, I a lot of I I don't watch the NFL. I didn't watch that, but I know the whole no, world. No, I, I, I didn't either. It. I heard about all this after the fact. Yes, exactly. But, but uh, 
I do have to comment on something I wasn't aware of. Mm -hmm. Apparently, is this the first time they've done this? Apparently, they played two national anthems. They played the regular national anthem, which is the Star Spangled Banner. Okay. This is, I guess, before the game. What's the other one? I didn't know there were two. They played the black national anthem. Oh, no. I didn't know there was one. Well, it's a very – it's a – it's a song that was written, I guess, in the late 19th, early 20th century by <clears throat> an African-American poet, James Weldon Johnson, called Lift Every Voice. It's a nice song. I really like it. I'm not a particularly big fan. Oh, of Ray Charles sings that. Yes. Yeah, I'm not a particularly big Okay, I love Ray Charles. Right. right. Okay. So I don't mind. I'll, I'll, oh, actually, right. it's, it's actually a great song. Uh, if this, oh boy, yeah, oh man, my, okay, here we go. I have the worst buffering problem with Google Chrome. I uninstalled it, reinstalled it. Oh, this is a great song. I'll, I'll give them, uh, look, why does Chrome, well. But he, I didn't know he did a very lift every voice, did he? Oh, he did, because this is the great Ray Charles. I'm a huge fan. I'll put it. I'll put a link to this in the show notes. This is a great song. This reminds me. If anyone can find the Ray Charles interview with um, Ed Bradley from 60 Minutes, I can't find it anywhere online. I've tried for years. It was some interesting things about Elvis. I think of that interview. (laughs) Do you remember that? He was critical of Elvis a little bit. But no. you but you remember the interview? What? Oh, Ed Sullivan? We all watched No, Ed not Sullivan. Ed Sullivan. Ed Bradley from 60 Minutes. Oh, Ed Bradley from 60 Minutes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. You remember that interview too? Okay. I'm pretty sure I remember it. I've watched a video of it. Okay, well, yeah. that's cool. I can't find it anywhere online. So if anyone uh, can find it, let me know. The gist of... Uh... But you were talking about, so they played this at the Super at the Super Bowl. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if they did this particular arrangement. They may have done a more traditional arrangement of it. But yeah, on right wing AM talk radio, there's a lot of uh, resentment about this because people were saying, "Well, when are you going to play the the white national anthem?" Oh boy! <laughs> right. <laughs> Never quits, huh? Well. It kind of gets us to uh, what I was posting about over in the forum. Okay, let's look at the forums here. Fakeologistforums.com. Okay. Under uh, revisionism, historical revisionism, we've been posting a lot about the Civil War. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, as we've come to understand, warfare seems to be about population displacement, relocation, replacement, Displacement, liquidation, right? Uh, removal, one way or another, and that warfare becomes a great cover for doing this. It's a, ultimately maybe one of the reasons why they do this. And I delved into the Civil War as an example of this in terms of how. Where is that on the? Uh, oh, let's the, see the Lincoln assassination to... conspiracy narrative. No, yeah, yeah, we're. We're getting into that because 
I had asked Phil, as you know, to take a look at the official narrative of the assassination attempt, so supposedly bungled assassination attempt, on Lincoln's Secretary of State, William Seward. Right. Because uh, people forget, you know, one of the things that was said after the Kennedy assassination in 63 was that there are no conspiracies and only conspiracy theorists dream up conspiracies and that all American presidential assassinations have been by lone nuts. And they pointed to the assassinations of Garfield and McKinley as examples of that. And then they said JFK was consistent with that pattern of a lone nut assassin. But anyone who was even loosely familiar with the Lincoln assassination narrative knew that it was a huge conspiracy right? involving, you know, at least a dozen people. And they were all meeting regularly at the house of Mary Surratt and her brother, I believe, who apparently were devout Catholics because later when she came to trial, the Pope issued a plea for her life. But supposedly they hanged her. But Fake Nukes Phil has dissected this, and as far as he's concerned, the hangings were probably fake. They were done with dummies. He's looked at the evidence of this and seen that a lot of what the photographic evidence that should have been there for the crime itself doesn't exist. Uh, And this is certainly the case with William Seward. Now, Seward was not an unimportant figure. He was a key player in Republican Party politics, and this was the guy who purchased Alaska from Russia. Right, Seward's Folly. Yes, or Seward's Icebox and Seward's Folly, it was called. They didn't think it would, they didn't know what it was, they didn't think it'd be good for anything. <laughs> of course, within 40 years, they supposedly they found gold up there and, and everything else. Oh, and, back to the gold rush. Yeah, and of course, Alaska's loaded with oil, but... But yes, that was Seward's uh, move to buy Alaska. Biggest purchase since the Louisiana Purchase, I guess. And uh, Seward allegedly had been in an accident. His carriage, he'd been thrown from his carriage by a, a panicked horse and had suffered a fractured jaw and other injuries and had allegedly been bedridden for several weeks when this assassination attempt occurred by one Lewis Payne, who also went by the name of Lewis Powell. Right. And who invaded the house where Seward was was in bed. But the, the problem with the narrative is that there were all kinds of people there. Like, I think Seward's son was there and a, a nephew and... Uh, his wife was there. All these people were there in a, in a fight with the alleged assassin, Louis Payne. Supposedly, the small pistol he carried jammed, and so he pulled the knife and allegedly tried to stab Seward to death. And we are told there are these massive wounds, but you never really see them. There are no photographs of the wounds that he allegedly suffered from this uh, 
bungled assassination attempt, even though he already had a broken jaw from the carriage accident several weeks earlier. And of course, Seward ultimately recovered and uh, came back, I think, to serve in a subsequent administration. But he, he returned to his political career. But one of the things that fake nukes Phil points out is that the trial of Lewis Payne for being part of the John Wilkes Booth group, cabal, conspirators, and the attempt to kill Seward was the complete lack of of any photographic evidence for, that the attack even occurred. There was no real physical or forensic or photographic evidence that the alleged crime had even occurred. And it was a military tribunal. It was not a normal constitutional trial, I guess you could say. But uh, I think what fake Nixville might be overlooking is the fact that it would have been redundant to demand photographic evidence when you had a half a dozen eyewitnesses who were right there in the room fighting it out with Lewis Payne. Allegedly, he he stabbed one or two of the other individuals or injured them, and then he fled and hung around D.C. for the next day or two until the Pinkertons picked him up. And, you know, then he was put on trial. Um, so the point I'm making here is that as long as you had a group of eyewitnesses willing to testify that this assault occurred, in a sense, the the need for photographic evidence would be, it wouldn't be as obvious. Okay. You know, a defense attorney could say, well, we demand photographic evidence. Phil is saying that, that it would have been normal to demand some kind of photographic evidence of the wounds that Seward was alleged to have suffered from this assassination attempt. But I don't know if that would have been the case in 1865. And even so, as I say, the fact that they had all these eyewitnesses. Now, what am I getting at here? It's the old line about, could they all be in on it? Or wouldn't somebody blow the whistle? Wouldn't somebody speak out and say the truth about what really happened? And that's the case that we have again and again. It wouldn't matter whether we had legitimate court trials or theatrical court trials. If you've got individuals who are willing to get on a witness stand, take an oath on the Bible, and then commit outright perjury with an agreed-upon story, then the venue, which is to say, is it a military tribunal? Is it a legitimate trial? Is it a fake court TV trial with Judge Judy? In a sense, none of that matters. Now, one of the things that was pointed out by Michael Elliott about the trial of Zacharias Musawi is that it was run under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. And so the Sixth Amendment requirement that a defendant is entitled to confront his accusers, they have to testify in court, that requirement was lifted by the judge 
And instead, they got affidavits from these witnesses, all of whom apparently were prisoners being held at Camp X-Ray in Guantanamo. So, in a sense, all the constitutional minimum required for a fair proceeding, in the case of Zacharias Musawi, was completely thrown overboard because they didn't even require the witnesses to come and identify themselves and testify with their accusations against Musawi that he was part of some conspiracy to take down the World Trade Center. Hmm. And that was the judge in that case, Leonine Brinkmeyer, because I went down there with some activists and we picketed around that trial. Uh, we held signs saying 9-11 was an inside job. And we were threatened too. We were actually threatened by a lawyer named Phil Berg who was allegedly Ellen Mariani's lawyer. I think you remember Ellen Mariani. No. Well, of all the dozens and dozens and dozens of family shocked, uh, frightened family members of 9-11 passengers who were supposed to have landed at LAX, only one showed up at the airport. All right. <laughs> only one. Ellen Mariani looking for her husband, who she said was on a separate flight to California they were both flying there from the East Coast in order to attend her daughter or, I don't know, adopted daughter's wedding, something like that. And her husband never showed up. And so she was she she was there at LAX. None of the these alleged passengers showed up at LAX. Go figure. But. She sued the United States government, ostensibly, and her lawyer, Phil Berg, had been a former attorney general of Pennsylvania. And uh, when I and another 9-11 truther, Kathy Garger, uh, went down to Alexandria, Virginia, and sat outside outside the courthouse in the plaza. It's a big plaza there. Yeah. With our signs, or little signs about 9-11 truth. Uh, Phil Berg, this attorney for Ellen Mariani, who was there at the Musawi trial. I'm not, I, I'm not sure why he was there, whether Ellen Mariani actually testified at that trial or not. Probably not. But Phil Berg threatened us. Uh, he said if we didn't, leave, that we were damaging the case of his client. And that if we didn't leave the plaza, he would call the police on us. It's really a very strange experience. Of course, we didn't move at all. We just sat right there. Because here's the thing. You can't picket a courthouse legally. Okay. Right. Any effort to picket a trial, a courthouse during an ongoing trial, they'll actually create a police perimeter around the courthouse so you can't even get near it. And I've seen this at a number of trials. The trial of the Catonsville Nine, where thousands of us showed up and marched around that courthouse, that federal courthouse in Baltimore in 1967, 68. They were on trial for pouring blood over draft records during the Vietnam War. But they brought in uh, 
National Guard even to ring the courthouse. But at the Zacharias Musawi trial in Alexandria, Virginia, which was in 2004, uh, there was no real police presence at all, but we still weren't allowed anywhere near the, the precinct of the courthouse itself. So we sat on these park benches with our signs and should we play a bit of this Phil thing here? Let's... Oh, Phil Crane, yeah, on uh, on the attempt to assassinate Stewart. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. I mean, he he basically goes through the details of it, and like I say, the biggest point he makes is where are the damn pictures? Where where's the photographs? You would have thought they would have taken photographs of Seward's injuries. But in fact, you don't see anything like that. All we have are the eyewitnesses who participated in this event and their testimony. That's what he points out. But further on down, I get into the question of uh, why the assassination of Seward, uh, attempt on Seward was important. Is because together with the apparent assassination... Hello, it's Big Nukes Phil. Coming to you from the basement, deep inside the Soviet States of America. Oh, he did again. this uh, today, I guess. So today I want to do or another yesterday. installment in the Abraham Lincoln series. Lynn Ertel from FacoTube wrote me an email. Oh, wow. So this is a request. It's like a fan request. Hello, it's Fake. There were no pictures taken of the Ford's Theater. Mary Todd Lincoln insisted that there be no shutter bugs. And so that explains why we have no photographs of the crime scene or anything. It was the biggest crime in American history, and, and nobody took a photograph of anything. Not John Wilkes Booth's body or nothing. Not Abraham Lincoln's body, nothing. And there were cameras back then, right? I think. Yeah, now now remember, taking a picture was a little bit more elaborate in those days. Yeah, yeah. It's not like they had these little handheld digital things. I mean... You had to set up a curtain around the box, you know. And one good movie to watch on this is the one that it sort of made a star out of Brooke Shields. And uh, Keith Carradine and Susan Sarandon are in it as well. It's called Pretty Baby. That was about by... this? No, no, no. It's a Well, it takes place at the turn of the century. It takes place around the year 1900. And it shows uh, uh, photography. The, the, the protagonist of the story, played by Keith Carradine, is a professional photographer. And a lot of the story centers around his taking pictures of Brooke Shields in this uh, brothel where her mother works. Okay. And, and so you see how how picture taking how photography was for maybe oh, the I first see. yeah first 50 years 50 60 years the photographer had to set up a stand a tripod the camera was usually a very large box you had to have a curtain to put over your head but even so Phil's absolutely right they could have set up that apparatus in less than 5 minutes and you would have thought there would have been photographers there anyway at Ford's Theater to take pictures of the president and the first lady on probably one of their first pleasure outings since uh, 
the peace, the armistice had been signed at Appomattox, right? Since Lee's surrender at Appomattox. It would have been a big deal for the president to attend a showing of uh, Our American Cousin, I think was the name of the the play. I think it was a comedy, a British comedy. So yeah, Ford's Theater should have been full. There should have been a few cameras at Ford's Theater anyway to take pictures of the actors, to take pictures of the premiere of the play, to take pictures of Mr. and Mrs. Lincoln attending the play. And so after Lincoln allegedly got shot, you would certainly have thought there would have been at least one camera around to take pictures of him. And of course, allegedly Lincoln was taken across the street and put up in a bed at the, at the hotel across the street. One way or another, there should have been photographic evidence of the assassination. And, and that's the point that Phil is making about Seward as much as it is about Lincoln. Where, where's the pictures? Where are the dogs that didn't bark? I'm referring there to the adventure of Silver Blaze from Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes, wherein a very valuable racehorse is stolen and a murder occurs in the process. And the question posed by Sherlock Holmes is, why didn't the dogs bark? And he makes the inference, the logical inference, that the dogs must have been familiar with the murderer enough that they didn't bark. And so the question is, why didn't the dogs bark? And that's how I view this absence of evidence, especially photographic evidence for so many of these events. Where are the barking dogs? And I pose that question also with respect to the uh, the 20th hijacker and the completely implausible narratives surrounding 9-11. Where are the dogs that were supposed to bark? Where were the alternative media people who were supposed to question this ridiculously stupid, absurd narrative of box cutter hijackings. Where were they? And this is the question that will preoccupy me for the rest of my life. Why didn't those dogs bark? I got a message from you from Armin Rigg. And he said, tell Lynn I watched the second Civil War movie she recommended and found it incredibly prescient of the potentials of the stage script for the near future. So someone appreciates your movie review. Yeah, and that gets us to the issue of population displacement. Now, further down in the forum, I have a piece on, uh, well, the assassination of Seward, Seward, the attempted assassination of Seward, or shall we say faked assassination of Seward and Lincoln, becomes part of a tradition of bitterness uh, in the North that led to the propensity for Northern Republican politicians to boast about uh, their service during the war. I think just about every president we had right on up until McKinley in 1898 served in the Union Army, and it was almost like that was a prerequisite to be president. You had to be a veteran of the Great War, the Civil War. But by 1898, when we were gearing up to go to war with Spain, 
there was an effort to create reconciliation between North and South. But up until that point, Northern politicians were known for what is called waving the bloody shirt. And it was sort of recrimination and guilt tripping of the South for all the blood that was shed and all the suffering. So you may not know it, but Arlington National Cemetery is located on what was the former estate of General Robert E. Lee. And it was deliberately selected for that by a former classmate of Robert E. Lee's from West Point, who became a Union general. And when uh, the bureaucracy, the Union bureaucracy was trying to decide where are we going to put this big graveyard for all the dead bodies being shipped back from Gettysburg, uh, he said, I'll show, he said, we're going to establish in memory forever Robert E. Lee's responsibility and guilt uh, for having supported secession and led to this bloody, bloody tragedy. And so uh, the Lee estate there became Arlington National Cemetery. A lot of people don't remember that. I didn't know. So where is this in the uh, forums that you're talking about? Waving the bloody shirt uh, under historical revisionism, probably under the Civil War. Okay. Let's see if I can find it. But, uh, yeah, waving the bloody shirt. And so it was kind of a, a psychological warfare thing, waving the blood, you know, blaming the South for the Lincoln assassination and the attempt on Seward. Oh, here and it I is. And I could just see them, just like they do with 9-11. Every few years or so, they would trot out Seward and remind people of this terrible conspiracy that had killed their beloved saint, Abraham Lincoln, and Seward's. Former Secretary of State Seward was still there to tell the story of how he survived it all. <laughs> right? Interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's under the Seward thing, the bloody shirt. Yeah, and so it becomes a part of our national heritage. But like, Tim Osmond would appreciate this because it, like, it's how mythology is woven into your national tradition. Mm -hmm. You know, you're raised with this imagery of the martyrdom of Abraham Lincoln and near martyrdom of William Seward and his terrible, bloody civil war that the South caused. So, yeah, they called that waving the bloody shirt. But as I say, the guy who ended waving the bloody shirt was Teddy Roosevelt. His president, William McKinley, had been an officer in the Union Army and uh, was elected in 1898. Oh, we got a call coming in. Caller Inner. Hey, Caller Inner, where are you calling from? I'm calling from the south shore of the St. Lawrence Seaway. This is John the Beggar. John, welcome to the show. Say hi to Lynn. Hi, hi Lynn. Lynn. John, How are you doing? Sure. Hey, John. I know John. Uh, I, uh, when I was a little kid and I went to Forbes Theater and they told the story, I thought it was all just bullshit. I even thought that then, but I couldn't say that publicly. My mother would have killed me. It would have been but heresy, on, heresy to say that. Heresy, yes. Yeah. Later, later on, when I was in college, I had a professor, and he actually said there was a book, I think, written in the 1930s by an author who claimed Lincoln had face cancer. He showed the evidence and that the whole thing was staged. And uh, he was very open about that in class, which I thought was rather unusual at the time, and yet 
I didn't go along with it 100% exactly. until now. I'm just absolutely certain that it was all just phony baloney. Because, like, it's how mythology is. Really all right. Uh, we also got uh, Brian on the line, too. Brian, um, say hi to Lynn and John. Or is it Jenna? I think it's Biochar on the line here. Hold on a sec. Can you hear that? Uh... Yeah. Are you... Um, you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about Gabby Giffords. Gabby Giffords, it turns out, was a cancer patient and was undergoing cancer surgery, brain cancer, I believe. Right. She was allegedly... That was a stage shooting, too. Definitely. Yeah, uh, I'm somewhat familiar with Gabby. Yeah, hold on, Brian. I just got to fix the audio here, and then you can talk. But it leads you to wonder how often do they arrange these things. Like, You know who I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about Steve Scalise. Are you familiar with this? This is that Yeah, I baseball. remember that, that thing. Yeah, the congressional baseball game. That allegedly some left winger went and shot it up, and the only one who was really shot was Steve Scalise. He was hospitalized. Well, the guy has blood cancer. Okay, Brian wants to chime in, too. Brian, can you hear uh, John the Beggar and Lynn? Just one, too. He came in for me. Lynn, can you hear him? Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Brian. Go, go ahead, Brian. I guess Brian can't hear. We'll have to dump him. He can call back with this very loud uh, noise here. Okay, go ahead. Sorry about that, guys. Well, the forum title, by the way, is the Lincoln Assassination Conspiracy Narrative. Okay, let me bring that up. Oh, I can't. I can't. Yeah, go ahead, John. You know, when I was in college, too, there were a couple of ROTC guys who were in that class, and I remember a conversation I had with them, and they said they wanted to go where they uh, allegedly – the site they had the hanging of the people that were convicted of the assassination, and they wanted to go and get some detection devices, ground detection, to go and see if anyone was buried there, but they said they knew that no one would ever let them do that, and I didn't get that at the time, but I do today. Well, would you actually have to dig them up, or could you do infrared tomography? That's what they were talking about doing stuff, and that was way back in the in the mid eighties. Yeah. Okay, Brian, go ahead. Say hi to John and Lynn. Go ahead, Brian. Say hi to John and Lynn. Okay. I guess we're having a bad connection. He's probably out in the biochar. Uh, <laughs> yeah. His line is getting cooked. It's biochar right. Go ahead, Brian. Well, I'm here, but uh, where's Jenna? Brian, where's Jenna? Oh, I see. It keeps cutting out. Their Skype keeps cutting out. So sorry about this, guys. It's not my fault this time for once. Thanks go, so much. Go ahead, Brian. You kept cutting out. Try again one more time. Uh, test one. Go ahead, Brian. You're killing the show today. 
Uh, his his connection's no good. We'll have to let let him uh, go on that. All right, John the Beggar, what else you got? Well, uh, I was even going back to the time of uh, the Harper's Ferry incident. Uh, I and this this professor I had also suggested. Uh, he I remember his lecture on it when they he said, "Were there no sheriffs in Kansas, bloody Kansas, where John uh, Brown allegedly killed 19 people to arrest him?" He was suggesting, I believe, today, thinking back that the whole thing was was fake. And I note at the uh, hanging of uh, John Brown, there was only um, a couple of journalists who were allowed to witness it, and they were pro um, pro anti slavery. And I just think he got let out the back door. In fact, Miles Mathis even said that in one of his articles. Okay, Lynn, so you're I sharing your screen here. Uh, yeah. Uh it does, these narratives were very, very powerful, very powerful, yeah. and it was designed to get Southerners mad at the Northerners, right? Right. The John but, Brown thing, and I don't also, think it was anything. It kind, but, of, it kind of radicalized a lot of Northerners as well, because good point. Uh, you know, so it, it not it could sort of look at a, a lot of these things that way. The people who are willing to own the narrative. Okay, I'll, gi I'll give you a real good story about that same professor. He had taught out in California, and I'm not sure it was UCLA or USC, and he had a very famous student out there for one of his classes, Sirhan Sirhan. Oh, whoa. No joke. And he remembered – the only thing he remembered about him was he asked him why the same nay twice. And Sirhan Sirhan said, well, where he came from the village, he was just Sirhan in the village. And he said they kept asking him, well, what's your first name? Sirhan, what's your last name? He said, I don't have one. And they said, you have to. And, they, and he said, my name is Sirhan. What's your last name? He said, Sirhan. So they wrote down Sirhan Sirhan. That's funny. And that's how he got that. Unless he didn't know who his father was in the village. God only knows. But I know that's what the professor told us, that story. And that's why he took pictures of everyone in the class, names underneath it so he could see. And he said, in case you do something great one day, hopefully not notorious. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, he was had moved from California, and the FBI came to him, his house and said, you'd had him as a student. And he said yes, and that was all he could remember was that one conversation with him about why he had two, this, the same name, Sirhan Sirhan. Well, we had the United Nations Secretary General who allegedly let the Rwandan genocide happen on his watch, Boutros Boutros Ghali. In that case, his oh, yeah. first name and his middle name, Boutros, Boutros, Gali. Like, isn't one Boutros enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think he was well, Egyptian, right? Boutros, Boutros. Uh, yeah, I think he was. <laughs> I'm thinking that he was. But there are just so many things in history that if you look at them with, with a, any degree of skepticism – you can see they're just they're just they seem to be phony, and I know if you look at Miles Mathis' site, he goes into a lot of them. 
Yeah, I'm I'm still looking at the Steve Scalise case because they really did make a martyr out of this guy. And it just seems like such a coincidence that he was the only one who actually got shot at this congressional baseball game. But it turns out he's been a long-time cancer patient anyway. Yeah. And, you know, it, it makes you wonder to what extent the hospitals, maybe not all the hospitals, but, you know, it's like we said before. Well, they if go to go, Bethesda Naval Hospital, don't they? Most right. of the Right. So they're going to be in on it automatically. Any military hospital is a closed movie set. It can and, be if it needs to be. And with the COVID, they turned every hospital into a closed movie set. Yeah, there was a good guy on YouTube, Lincoln Karim, K-A-R-I-M. He goes around on an uh, electric bicycle looking at things all over New York. And during the pandemic, he would go on and he would uh, go to hospitals and he would go to the front, and he'd look in and stuff, and he asked people, are they busy in there? And they'd say no, and no one was in the waiting rooms or anything else. And he went and looked at the Tents for Samaritan's Purse. That's Billy Graham Jr.'s charity. And he looked at a distance, but he zoomed in, and those tents out there who were that were supposedly full of patients were totally empty. That, that was and the they, same everywhere, yeah, the tents. Yeah. That was part of the narrative. That was part of the plot line. Make the tents. Oh, definitely. Yeah, the well, tents were I know big. People, I know people who had relatives, and I know some myself. Have, I have relatives, young people that worked in the delivery driver during that time. And what they oftentimes did if they needed a place to go to the bathroom, they pulled into a hospital and just went into one part that seemed to be empty and used the bathroom and came out. You were probably No problem. They were probably glad for the visitors. <laughs> yeah. But it was just uh, – it, it's just um, – it was just such nonsense like that. He does a really good job that Lincoln Karim does. He uh, shows some wildlife, too, in Central Park and everywhere, but he questions everything, too. He's pretty good. All right, so you Did recommend you? him, huh? Yeah, take a look at him, Lincoln Karim. He's a uh, guy from the islands, I would say, by his voice, and he uh, does pretty good work. Okay, we'll drop a link, and we can put it in the show notes. Okay, I'll try to get one to you, and I think I've taken up enough of your time, and I thank you for having me on, Fakeologist and Lynn Ertel. Always a pleasure, yeah, John. Always, John, yeah. Okay. Uh, Good night now. Thanks for calling in. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's the great is, uh, John John the Beggar there. From, from the, the south side of the St. Lawrence Seaway. Yeah. yeah, that's in the United, United States of America. Right, they, the U.S. tried to invade and conquer that area, and they got their ass kicked really bad. Who <laughs> That's knows? the war we lost. We really lost that war, the War of 1812. Well, Brian, okay, who do we got now? No planes. No planes, how are you tonight? Doing good. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're real good. Thanks for calling. You know, I just want to uh, give kudos to the, your guest, Lynn. I watched that movie, and if you were to take... The, the state in question was Idaho. And if you would have made it, if you made it, if you would have made the state Texas, it would be just like something you saw in the news like about a month ago. Remember how, you know, Abbott was, you know, declaring war on the government and they were, and they were sending, 
uh, uh, National Guard troops to Texas. Well, they were doing the same thing in this movie, sending them to Idaho. And I thought it was, it was really a good movie. And it was, yeah, it's very, it's very, it's wild. I was wondering, Lynn, when you go on RBN, what show do you do? Well, I don't really do a regular show, but, uh, Ingri, I-N-G-R-I, called, oh gosh, per, she does a personal health show that focuses mainly well, on nutrition. Is that on, is that on Saturday rising. afternoons? Uh, it comes on eight o'clock at night on Saturday nights, I think. Okay. All right. Are you going to be on there this weekend? I, I'm not a regular guest or anything. Oh, yeah. uh, I was yeah. on this a couple of times. It all centered around they managed to get a uh, a microbiologist named Kevin McCairn to come on there. And initially yeah. I was on there to kind of confront him <laughs> about okay. his claim no. that they have secret, secret uh, prion weapons or <laughs> whatever. Right. I want to make a comment about the uh, uh, Lincoln. Okay, you guys think that Lincoln uh, faked his death, right? Is that is that the consensus over there? Right, that's the thesis. Okay, and, and, and no, I'm not. A... Lot... There's no consensus. Yeah, not... That, that's just Lynn, Lynn, and everyone's talking about it. Our so. hypothesis, yeah. We don't okay. need. We don't have a... to have a consensus. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm not a fake death guy, but in this case with Lincoln. Now, it's very possible he did fake his death for the simple fact that at the end of the war, he had a lot of enemies, and it's a good chance he was going to be killed anyways. I mean, everybody packed a gun back in the day. He would have to be under 24-7 tight surveillance because he had – I mean, at the end of the war, a lot of people were gunning for him. So it's very possible that, you know, he that might have been pulled, you know. Um, so that's my two cents on that. Thanks for taking the call. Thank you, as always, yeah, Rick. Don't go just yet. I want to turn you on to another movie. Okay, great. There? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's, if you haven't seen it already, it's Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in America. And the central plot theme, now this is a very historically accurate, well, I should say it's graphically accurate in terms of its representation of the 1920s and the bootlegger era, Prohibition era. But the central theme of the story is a faked death staged uh, by these gangsters uh, as a way of, you know, managing to get out of a bad I'm business not situation. In your friends, I'm not oh, friends, our old buddy, what's his name? Pacino? James Woods? Yes. Oh, sorry, Robert De Niro. Oh, sorry. Oh, the cast of this. Oh, like this is James Woods, Robert like De Niro, Danny Aiello. Yeah, this is a very impressive film. All right. Well, then I'll watch that this week, and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for yeah, taking if, the call. If only to make the case. If only to make the case that sure yeah. they'll kill they'll kill when they have to, but sometimes it's a lot cheaper just to make it look like they they offed somebody to, if they want to send a message, if they want to have a business reorganization, if they want to settle some bad debts. Boy, gangsters are always full of bad debts. Politicians too. They're all compromised. Yep. So, yeah, sometimes as art is an imitation of life, sometimes the imitation of death can be just as effective as the death itself. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. I'll be listening to the rest of the show. Thanks for taking the call. Thank you very much for calling in, Rick. Rick No Plains. He's calling on the Skype, Skype at Fakeologist. Well, if nothing else, you get some good – 
Lynn, I'm going to have to take a week off to watch all these movies. I can't watch the movies because I keep doing shows. So I'm just oh, going to. I don't know how you could have missed Once Upon a Time in America. And the other one is his Once Upon a Time in the Old West, if you like Westerns. It's... I was just, I was playing with my Apple computer back then in 1984. Right. I wasn't watching movies that much back then either. I really wasn't. I had to play catch up. Yeah. Even... Yeah, but the, the idea of death faking. As a as sort of a, a regular tactic used by gangsters, very very cogently presented in this movie, for the, relative to the 1920s and 1930s. Look and at look see. at these comments. Just saw it. I'm speechless. Such a masterpiece. Almost four hours. Never wanted to end. It's a four hour movie. It is long. It is very. You might want to watch it in two installments. Isn't that interesting? But that's the Italians. The Italians always make really long. Yeah. European films, you always get your money's worth. The greatest film ever made. Amazing that such a long movie leaves you wanting more. First saw it many years ago, but it never gets old. No matter how many times I watch it, I never want it to end. Wow. This movie is really underrated. It got completely snubbed by the Oscars. The studios were idiots not to release the original cut as is. Definitely a case of the studio ruining the movie. It's the ultimate gangster film. It really, as good as anything that Scorsese or Francis Ford Coppola, you know, can do. It's the ultimate gangster film. Isn't that interesting? Joe Joe Pesci is listed as fourth in the starring order, but he's hardly in the movie. (laughs) Who's that? Which one? Joe Pesci. Oh, yeah. He appears uh, uh, briefly. He has a sort of a brief role in it. But, uh, yeah. And they they show you the aging of the characters over the generations. And so you see the consequences of this death faking show up at the very end. And you see how it's resolved at the very end uh, that that he's created. One of these gangsters has created a completely new identity for himself and has ended, becoming, uh, ended up by becoming a cabinet official in the federal government. That's how far... He's risen from just being a street thug, which is how they start. They go from being street thugs to being bootleggers to being part of a larger criminal enterprise. And then the thing blows up, and that's when the the death faking occurs. But, yeah, I, I highly recommend the film. And it really gets you thinking about it, too. Of course, the idea of faking a death in order to maintain the Civil War legacy It covers up how much of the war was about population relocation, population displacement. And I don't just mean of the freed slaves, who by their thousands now were, I suppose, going to be lured west with the promise of 40 acres and a mule. But of course, I'm thinking about all those Irish and Germans that were brought over here to fill up the shortages in the ranks of the Union Army that were already appearing by 1862, 1863. Mm. Uh, Once Northerners saw what this was like, they quickly lost enthusiasm for it, I think, a lot of them. And uh, young men did not want to be drafted into the Union Army. Martin Scorsese's movie, The Gangs of New York, based on a novel, which is a fictionalized account of the only time I'm aware of in which the United States Navy actually bombarded an American city, shelled the city of New York, at least the Five Points District. 
uh, because of a general state of chaos, disorder, and riot that was occurring in the city that historically have come to be known as the New York City draft riots of, I guess, 1863, 1864. Uh, so there was definite problem with the shortage of filling the ranks in the Union Army. And, of course, the South was being depleted as well with desertions and everything. What's and your, what, did not. What's your take? Sorry to interrupt, though. What's your take on bringing in all these migrants to put them in the Army? Well, and, that's and become part. Of, did we talk about that last week? To sort of that yes, that would it, be the Civil War, right? It suggests that this this movement to create populations moving in a certain direction is perhaps occurring in preparation for staging a war, or as a consequence of a war. And uh, I posted a link. I wouldn't ordinarily post the link to the last American vagabond. Because he's kind of into the blue pill politics. He's not a fakeologist. But he does do an hour on uh, migration and the management of migration and how international law, <clears throat> communitarian law, humanitarian law, is has been implemented to make it easier for them to move these populations around if they can declare a given situation to be war. In other words, creating a media narrative and scenario of warfare now provides the perfect cover for otherwise planned relocation of, I don't know, undesirable or otherwise problematic populations. Right. Thus lending more weight to our thesis that that's what warfare is mainly about controlled demolition and population relocation, which is livestock management, as as I call it. Uh, and in the case of the Civil War, you really see this massively with the influx of uh, Irish and German immigrants. Uh, we noted that the Irish were driven here largely because their land had been stolen <laughs> by the British and by artificially induced food shortages in Ireland. As soon as they got off the boat, they were handed a uniform, a musket. I guess we had rifles by then. Remember, at the beginning of the war, you still had mostly smoothbore muskets, right? You didn't really have more sophisticated rifle breech loaders until, you know, the, the war production got underway. Uh, and the Germans who came over, many for somewhat, uh, somewhat different reason, many who were ideologically motivated to actually enlist and fight to uh, eradicate, to abolish slavery. Uh, some of them didn't even speak English, but they were ideological followers of the socialist movement in Germany, as we discussed. So you can see how the roots of that go all the way back into the middle of the 19th century, and perhaps earlier. So I see the migration, and people mentioned this movie, The Second Civil War, mm -hmm. which at the time I saw it, in 97, 1997, I think it came out in 96. I wasn't all that impressed with it. I saw it was kindly meant to be a parody or a satire. But in fact, all the scenarios presented in that movie script are happening right now, as your caller earlier indicated. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. And Abbott has, look, Abbott has been governor 
year after year after year as people went back and forth across that border. That's nothing new for him. No. Why did he suddenly decide to make a theater out of it now? Why wouldn't he put these migrants on a bus and send them back across the border to Mexico? That would make a lot more sense than shipping them up to Martha's Vineyard or to New York City or to Chicago, right? But while we're looking... He's being told to do it, don't you think? Yeah, right. It's a script. And the script is to create this thing going on with the caravans marching through Mexico and the scene at the border and Eagle Pass. Yeah. While meanwhile, the real migrants are being moved in through the airports. And they're not necessarily coming from Mexico. Yes. Although they might, they might be coming from Venezuela, some of them. They might be coming from Ukraine. I... I expect India, to see a, China. India, oh, China, yeah, for sure. I expect to see a lot more migrants from Ukraine coming here, don't you? Because we're hearing about Ukraine a lot. They Didn't they just pass that bill to fork over another bazillion <laughs> for Ukraine? Uh, it's too much. It's for the, Man. yeah, it's crazy, Lynn. These guys are going to show the dollar to be totally fake. Oh, yeah. Get your money in Bitcoin because now they're... Uh... Now, the Chinese have got to be propping it up at this point. The Chinese communists have got to be propping up the dollar. Because I don't think the Russians would be capable of pulling the plug on it, but the Chinese might be, huh? Maybe. We don't want the dollar to go fake, do we? Or is it already? It already, yeah. Put your money in something, uh, something more solid. This fiat currency is dangerous. Uh, you talk about... A crypto or a, a fiat currency, yeah. I'll leave you with a statement by the current president of El Salvador. Oh, okay, very right. Good. The Bitcoin guy. Yeah, very young man. He has successfully actually reduced violent crime in that place down to like nothing. Amazingly, stunningly, it was one of the most violent Wh- places What's he Earth. done? He, he cracked down really hard. His name okay. is Kelly. And you know what he said in an interview? No. He said the he said the only way you could take down the United States is from within. He said, and that's what's happening. We've heard he that said, so many times. Yeah, what's happening in the United States? He's saying could only be happening because it's being done deliberately from within. Controlled demolition of the American Empire. Controlled demolition of of the whole idea of Western civilization. If we were to take Tim Osmond's view of it. Yeah, where's he been? Is he still broadcasting? Or I, I haven't. I've lost yeah. track of him for the last couple of I haven't weeks. heard him the last couple of days, but it, uh, he, last I heard him, he was deconstructing the Super Bowl and Taylor Swift and nice and all that symbolism. So That's IPS.monster. So he's back. Soon. Not Shock says they're already here, Lynn. The Ukrainians are in Georgia. Ooh, we're going to check that out. All right. <laughs> well, well, Lynn, you always bring it. Very entertaining. And... Um, We'll see you next Wednesday. No, next Tuesday. Yeah, and thanks to your guests for calling in. We wish more people would call in. I will see you then. Yeah, save your questions for Lynn on Tuesday. Load them up. And if you want to email her, Lynn at fakeologist.com, L-Y-N-N. Are you getting any emails? Uh, I, I exchange mostly with people in the forums. Okay. I, I'm on the look in, I'm on the lookout for emails, of course. Yeah. yeah, Lynn at fakeologist.com. I made it really easy for you. Lynn at fakeologist.com. And thank you, Lynn, so much. Have a great night. All right, there goes Lynn Ertel. And there goes me. Don't forget, these, these podcasts don't make themselves. It's value for value. You pay whatever you think the show is worth. There is no amount that's too small. 
Just go to fakeologist.com forward slash donate where you can pay once or pay monthly. Just click a button. You don't need to log in. You don't need any um, special website. Just pull out your wallet with a credit card number and punch the number in. It's super easy. It'll take less than less than a minute. And uh, even people with uh, lower IQs have done it. So I really appreciate those people as well. And if you want to see those people, not all, all with different IQs, here they are. And we've got monthly donors. We've got one-time donors. Thank all you guys for donating. I really appreciate it. You really helped make this thing go. And um, keep up the good work. And we'll keep up the good work. Tomorrow is Fake Nukes Phil. We'll talk to him for a few minutes for about an hour tomorrow. And he is obviously taking requests. He did a, he did a video for Lynn Ertel. So I love to see the cooperation there. If you've got any questions for Phil, it's phil at fakeologist.com as well. And that's it. And thanks to everyone who came on the audio chat. Make sure you join our audio chat at fake11.com forward slash discord. And thanks to the callers, John the Beggar and Rick from somewhere in the West. All right, guys, take care, and thanks, everyone, for joining. We'll see you next time tomorrow.